Welcome to the 11th Annual Bevy Awards, presented by the Bird's Eye View Podcast. With appearances by Utah Street Report, History of Birdland, Give That Fan a Podcast, Full Count Chaos, Bird Notice, The Baseball Widows, Baltimore Sports Today, Upod Street, British Orioles, Roar from 34, and now, here are your hosts, Jake English and Scott Magnus. Thank you, Jovial J, and welcome to the 2023, the 11th Annual Bevy Awards. Yes, this is a show that is too long at just the right time. And as we deal with the post-All-Star Game lull, it's time for us to take a look back at the first half and look ahead to the second. This is one of the few seasons that we can truly look back and love what we've seen. Well, I'm, hang on, Scott. I'm not sure that's entirely true. What are you talking about? This team has the second best record in the AL, uh, behind only the Tampa Bay Rays, um, who've had an amazing season, and have the third best record overall in Major League Baseball behind the Atlanta Braves. Um, how can you say that this has not been a great season? Whoa, don't put words in my mouth. I, I wouldn't say that. But there certainly have been some who have tried. And, and really, this podcast, at its heart, what we do here at Bird's Eye View, it's about representation, Scott. And so for our traditional Bevy's Big Opener, I've tried to give a voice to this small but vocal portion of the fan base. That's great, it starts with a series sweep. These birds are flakes and down in flames. They're not contenders, I'm afraid. I was promised slipped up, yet we suffer walk-offs, fans eat each other live, Twitter makes us tough, guys, season started hot, big beats, no stress, the standings started slipping, and here we go again, Open is a fire as we lose successful games, he and Aaron hits for hire in front of Baltimore, things are getting ugly in a hurry with the Yankees breathing down our necks, team by team reporters battle slump, plus outs, look at that, no hits, fine, then, uh-oh, can't be no orbit, but that's it, find someone to save the game, save the game, Aiken and Gillespie, Baker pairs best speed, they tell me that the Bolton will get better, right? Right. Wanting magic, getting tragic each night, sad sight, needing some despite, it's the end of the season, don't you know it, it's the end of the season, yeah, they've blown it, it's the end of the season, and I know it, and I blame Got some power now and then a good start. Gunner Adley Westberg. Now we're getting cows hurt. Get these guys to the show. Too late. There's no telling. But the margin starts thin. Can't hold many wins. Lose a series in the standing. Step down, step down. Hurts my feelings so much. Up oh, this means worst fear. Oh, my dear. Four and thirty-two's near. History, a history, a history of prize. Offer me some hope and offer me some reason as I'll decline. It's the end of the season. It's the end of the season.
It's the it's end of the season. It's the end of the season. It's the end of the season. I blame high. The other night on Lesson 2 played like I had no clue. No chance, pitiful, dark age baseball. Police, no risk, fans could be scripted. Fans are getting feisty, turning on one another. No problem being patriotic, but they still slam pride. It's the end of the season, don't you know any It's the end of the season, yeah, they blow any It's the end of the season, yeah, they know And I know it. It's the end of the Jake, you've done it again. You've left me speechless. But yes, I think that equivocally speaks in one single voice of how all Orioles Twitter has felt so far this season of 2023. You know, we keep talking about that EKG of it's over, we back, it's over, we back. I I think that it will be... It's kind of just like R.E.M., (laughs) <laughs> it'll be it's pro- over we're back <laughs> it'll be appropriate for us to revisit is it the end of the season as we know it regardless it's obviously brandon hyde's fault clearly well with that let's turn it all over to jovial jay to get started the 11th annual bevy awards presenting his 11th consecutive award please welcome the bevy's own iron man Derek arnold of utah street report Greetings again, Birdland. Derek Arnold here from Utah Street Report. It is an honor to be back presenting a Bevy Award for the 11th time. We've seen a lot over these 10 plus years of Orioles baseball. Much memorable, but much more, unfortunately, quite forgettable. Once again, that's what our Bevy represents, the forgettable. Resurrected last season and continuing here in 2023, The Forgotten Man Award memorializes that Oriole whom, when you look back upon the season, you'll have no recollection of wearing the orange and black. These guys have all departed the organization, at least for the time being, so someone like Jose Godoy would be ineligible. Last season, we honored the immortal Logan Allen. Who will take it home this year? Your nominees... He was acquired for cash considerations on May 3rd, activated on May 5th, and designated for assignment on May 9th. Catcher Luis Torrens made exactly zero appearances as an Oriole. Second, another member of the third catcher treadmill, Mark Calasveri, was activated June 13th, DFA June 14th, and elected free agency on June 16th, having caught a single inning and taken zero at-bats. Finally, 
as the birds searched far and wide for middle relief help. Reed Garrett was activated June 14th, DFA June 18th, and claimed by the New York Mets on June 25th. And your winner, as voted upon by Utah Street Report's Twitter followers, with 52% of the vote is... Luis Torrens! Congratulations to Luis, and here's to the rest of the 2023 season being memorable for all the right reasons. Please welcome Ryan Blake of Give That Fan a Podcast. What's up, Orioles fans? Ryan Blake here, co-host of Give That Fan a Podcast over on utahstreetreport.com. You may know me from Twitter at RyeGuyBlake, or more likely from my other account at OriolesFanRyan. Before I get into it, I would of course like to thank the incomparable Scott Magnus and Jake English here at Bird's Eye View for inviting me back once again to participate in this year's Bevy Awards. It is always a thrill for me to be able to come up with a new award and present it to somebody. I, I truly do appreciate being considered for this once again. On May the 25th, the Baltimore Orioles became the first team in American League history and the fourth team in baseball history, if my research serves me right. To have a starting lineup featuring three different players named Ryan. As a Ryan myself, I feel like it is important to bring these things to light. That was a huge personal moment for me, seeing a major league starting lineup with three Ryans. Even cooler that it was with my favorite team, the Baltimore Orioles. And with that in mind, the bevy I will be presenting this year will be the Ryan of the Year. Qualifications for this award are pretty simple. I think you'll notice a trend when I list the nominees. And here they are. Ryan Mountcastle. Ryan O'Hearn. Ryan McKenna. And B. Ryan Baker. And the winner of the Bevy Award for Ryan of the Year is... Ryan... <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, Ryan O'Hearn. I, I should have been more specific. Ryan O'Hearn is this year's Ryan of the Year. He was designated for assignment by the Kansas City Royals at the end of December. The Orioles acquired him for cash just a few days later. He was then designated for assignment by the Orioles. Cleared waivers was outrighted to AAA. Around the beginning of the season, he was called up, sent back down, called up again, and has solidified himself as a lineup regular thanks to an outstanding performance in the 2023 season, he has solidified himself as the Orioles' cleanup hitter, especially against right-handed pitching. He became a cult hero in Baltimore with a three-run homer off of Jordan Romano in Toronto to tie the game at five in the eighth inning. The Orioles would go on to win that game six to five. He gave the Orioles a little bit of insurance just a couple weeks ago in New York with a two-run homer in the ninth to put the Orioles ahead six to three, give Felix Bautista a little more of a cushion in a big win in that one as well. He went 5-for-5, five five, reaching base in all seven plate appearances in a series against his former team, the Kansas City Royals. Included in that was a home run, a double, four runs scored, and a couple runs batted in. Overall on the season, O'Hearn batting 302 with an 867 OPS, on pace for career highs just about across the board. Ryan O'Hearn is the winner of this year's Ryan of the Year Apologies to Ryan Mountcastle, Ryan McKenna. It's been a little bit of a tough year for both of you. McKenna optioned down to AAA. Mountcastle dealing with some vertigo that I'm sure impacted his performance at the plate. B. Ryan Baker, I'm sorry you never really stood a chance. And I would like to give an honorable mention shout-out to co-hitting coach 
Ryan Fuller. There are a lot of Ryans participating with the Orioles this season, but the Ryan of the year is none other than Ryan O'Hearn. Congratulations to him. Thank you to Scott and Jake. You can follow me on Twitter at RyeGuyBlake or at OriolesFanRyan. You can listen to my podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including YouTube if you want video versions. That is called Give That Fan a Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and go Orioles. And now, presenting a bevy, Jake English. Thank you, Jovial J. It is my pleasure to announce the winner of the We Have Arrived moment. You know, Scott, this season has been fantastic to watch in so many ways. And over the course of the last couple of years, we've had moments where you could see that maybe the organization was headed in the right direction. Mm. And last season was certainly an opportunity for us to, to look at what happened and say, wow, I can very clearly see the future of this organization. But here in 2023, there have been plenty of moments that I don't know about the rest of Birdland, but have made me feel like, wow, we have arrived. And so I would like to highlight four nominees for the we have arrived moment. The first is Major League Baseball using Adley Rutschman to sell its product. And we've seen this time and time again. But most specifically this year, I was blown away by, you know, MLB media putting out spots with Adley Rutschman as a, you know, faux salesman in the MLB store in New York City and and having some fun with that situation. Naming Adley Rutschman to the uh, Home Run Derby as part of the All-Star Game. Selling the game with the faces of some of its young stars. And when one of your Baltimore Orioles is that face, my friend, we have arrived. He is the bra of Major League Baseball. Uh, Some other instances, you know, if we're going to talk about Adley, we've got to also talk about his three fellow All-Star mates. Again, the Orioles were selected to have four members be able to attend the All-Star game. Austin Hayes, Felix Batista, and Yenier Cano. Again, let's think back to that. You know, the last time we saw that many All-Stars pop up, it was during the Buckle Up Birds era. So again, you're starting to, you know, get recognition from your peers um, and from the rest of Major League Baseball that, you know, multiple Orioles are deserved and that pity picks are not necessary. Our next nominee for the We Have Arrived moment of the season is watching broadcasts, not massive broadcasts, but national broadcasts or even away broadcasts of the Orioles playing good teams. I particularly enjoyed listening on the radio and watching television against the series with Atlanta and Tampa and even some of the New York Yankees series when instead of a David and Goliath story, it was a story about two excellent teams going nose to nose. And this is a moment that says the Orioles are now one of the contenders. The Orioles are now a team that people have to reckon with. You don't circle the Orioles on your schedule anymore. You survive a series with the Baltimore Orioles because they have arrived. And the last nomination is going to go to the suspicious silence from Buster Olney. We've seen a lack of tweets basically criticizing the Baltimore Orioles organization. And there's actually been notable interviews this week with Buster Olney going up and interviewing Adley Rutschman during the home run derby. It's almost like Buster Olney really can't say bad things about the Orioles organization at this given moment concerning how well they're playing on the field. Is their play on the field uh, bad for baseball? Uh, We'll get into that later on. 
All right. And so those are your nominees for the We Have Arrived moment. And let's just uh, let's open the, the envelope here. Come on, Buster. Come on, Buster. Come on, Buster. The winner of the 2023 We Have Arrived moment is Major League Baseball using Adley Rutschman to sell its product. Congratulations, Adley. Congratulations, Major League Baseball. And congratulations to all of us here in Birdland. We have arrived. Making their first appearance on the Bevy Awards, please welcome Billy and Ryan of the Bird Notice Podcast. Hello, it's an honor to be here at the 2023 Bevy Awards. We're the Bird Notice Podcast, the number one ranked Orioles podcast named after a USA Network television show that aired from 2007 to 2013. I'm Billy. And I'm Ryan. We're here to present the award for people we'd rather invite to our birthday party before Keegan Aiken. The nominees are Aubrey Huff, Chris Owings, Jeffrey Mayer, the Masson Arbitration Panel, Chris Davis's agent, and the winner for people we'd rather invite to our birthday party before Keegan Aiken is. The Masson Arbitration, Arbitration Panel. And now the hosts of an objectively better podcast than Bird's Eye View, please welcome the return of Sam Dingman and Alan Smith of Baltimoreans. Hello, BEV listeners. How y'all doing? How's it going? Uh, your, your friends, the Baltimoreans here... Uh, Sister wife podcast to the wonderful BEV boys. Yes, we're in- invading your your enjoyment of their um, baseless insight. Uh, no, what is it? Lack of insight and baseless opinion mm. with a little Our bit. Our entry into this year's BEV awards. Our category this year is biggest flub of 2023, subcategory just Rob Manfred as commissioner (laughs) of Major League Baseball. And your nominees are number one, Rob Manfred's handling of the entire Oakland Athletics moving to Las Vegas schmazel. This is a very strong entry here, Sam, because not only did Rob Manfred choose to waive the $300 million relocation fee to Las Vegas, putting lie to his claim that he would like the team to stay in Oakland. Not only did he lie on camera about the fact that Oakland had not come up with any concrete offers to keep the team in the greater Oakland area, not only did he roundly fail to feel the pain of the athletics, current athletics fans, but he talked on them for absolutely no reason when they did in fact do a fairly interesting and creative anti-boycott night he talked on the team when those fans put in more of an effort to create an interesting night at the coliseum than a's ownership has made in two years I would say 10. And it's really interesting that Manfred tried to cover his own tracks about the stupid talking on the reverse boycott by saying uh, that was a good effort, but this is 10 years in the making, as if it's the fans' fault that they haven't been showing up to a dilapidated stadium that's falling apart to a team that has been summarily and repeatedly under-invested in and to a like an organization that has been very clearly trying to run down the value of the franchise to make a move to 
a smaller market with a lower tax base uh, where they're going to get a bunch of sweetheart deals from government. Yeah. It's like saying to the patrons of a restaurant, why don't you come to the restaurant anymore? Are you put off by the fact that we no longer uh, serve edible food? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and I, I think that I think that the 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 reason why this is such a fantastic entry into the uh, Manfred Flub category is the incredible ham handedness that it takes to be snarky about a fan base trying their best to keep a team. Especially when the notional role of the commissioner of baseball is to oversee uh, the relationship between baseball and its fans. Now, I'm sure he would tell you, but we gave you fans exactly what you wanted, bigger bases and pitch clocks. We didn't ask for that, Rob. We didn't ask for that. Well, you're right, Smith. That is a very strong entry in the category, but I've got one that just might be better. Hear me out. I would like to provide you with a direct quote from Mr. Manfred on June 22nd of this year, saying of his decision to largely grant immunity to the players on the Houston Astros who cheated, quote, it was maybe not my best decision ever. I would like to give that 10 out of 10, you think, in tarot bangs? <laughs> The other job, I would argue, of the commissioner of baseball is to protect the integrity of baseball. And when you have hard proof that an entire team of baseball players cheated and that there is abundant evidence that said cheating influenced the outcome of competitive play on the field, and those players largely got off scot-free, and the enablers of that largely are still employed either in baseball or professional sports. Yeah, that's maybe not your best decision ever, Rob. I think you're right. Like the underlying point of the rules have to matter. And if you don't play by the rules, there have to be some sort of ramifications for that. It was shocking at the time. And I don't really remember anybody coming up with a good defense for why you had to just kind of not really fine, not really suspend, not really like limit these players. It seems to me like the match fixing scandals of the past, maybe because they had to do with gambling and maybe there was something like a little more nefarious or insidious about your shoeless Joe Jackson's or even your Pete Rose's that because money was involved, somehow it didn't matter. But, man, there's a lot of money involved in winning the World Series. And there's a lot yeah. of money involved in those Astros guys all having simultaneously career years at the plate. Like, that, that their contracts are certainly quite a lot of money. The brand and the value of the Astros organization as a multi-time World Series winner, certainly quite a lot of money. And it's really interesting to see the way in which the asterisks of cheating has already started to fade maybe because there was no major ramifications but it doesn't seem to me like those world series carry the amount of an asterisk that i think maybe that they should yeah and i would add only one other thing which is in a few years there's going to be a, an intense conversation about whether jose altuve should get into the hall of fame because on the mm. numbers he's probably one of the best second basemen of all time and i think it's pretty likely that he's going to skate on this and he's going to get in and yeah I think 
the fact that he is going to get in and there are other people who, for other reasons, are not in. I hope you're still commissioner then, Rob, because those are going to be some fun sleepless nights for you, my friend. We just need a cheater's wing of the Hall of Fame. You just need an asterisk wing. It can be the sub-basement. And you just, that's where you put everybody who is tarnished because they are, they are important parts of the history of the game. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't, you shouldn't like pretend that uh, Jose Altuve doesn't exist, but mm-hmm. you should have an asterisk, man. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. right. The third and final category entry here doesn't have, I would say, doesn't have the shocking pull quote that the first two categories has. And in some ways you could argue that as a result, it has allowed Manfred to skate a little more under the radar for this third, I would say, sizable f- up. Um, but the the um, Manfred response, oh, BEV boys, do you bleep? I'm sorry, Jake. Good luck. The, <laughs> the decision by Major League Baseball to not weigh in in any way, shape, or form on the Clayton Kershaw v. Pride Night debate and instead decide, like every good Republican governor ever, states' rights that the individual team gets to choose whether or not they choose to uh, have any acknowledgement of Pride Night or in any way address a a moment that I think drove a lot of people out of their ability to feel safe at a baseball game. I think that that is, in fact, a fairly large error by Manfred. And it speaks to me of his lack of leadership and his general cowardice when presented with anything that might in any way reflect back on him. Like he he is he is deeply thin skinned. And whenever that thin skinnedness gets in the way of him taking any kind of stance that might be viewed as politically charged anyway, he seems to get out of the way. And I think that example of the unwillingness to weigh in on Pride Night and the decision, therefore, to allow teams and not even like not even allow, like not give teams cover like he could have stepped up to the plate and given teams cover to say, well, Major League Baseball commissioner insists that I do this, do the right thing on Pride Night or a Pride Month or in any way acknowledgement of LGBTQ plus fans, players, the experience of being gay in this country, any of that he has decided not to do. And if his goal by making the bases larger and uh, adding a pitch clock is to bring baseball into the 21st century, he has roundly failed to complete that goal by acknowledging the, I won't even say culture war moment because it's not a culture war moment. It's just a like rank decision to not acknowledge the identity of many of his fans. Yeah, it's it's accommodation to bigotry and it's inexcusable. And, you know, baseball is for everybody. If it's going to be America's pastime, it should be welcoming and inclusive of every American, period. End of sentence. And the counterpoint to that argument that the presence of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence or the idea of Pride Night makes people of faith feel uncomfortable. And the idea that that's a meaningful counter-argument is idiocy. People make people uncomfortable. That is part of being alive. (laughs) Disagreement is baked in to the history of this country. The difference between what happened with the Dodgers is that the Dodgers said one side of this question shouldn't be allowed to be present. And that's just fundamentally wrong. And to their credit, they walked it back and went back on it after a 
enormous backlash. But there's only one side of this history that baseball should be on. And Manfred had the opportunity. He didn't even have to force the Dodgers or any other team to do anything. He could have just said, yeah, I can't force the teams to do anything, but here's what baseball stands for. Baseball Mm -hmm. stands for including everybody in the game. It was a meatball over the center of the plate, and he whiffed. Pocket veto. So, Sam, we don't have, we did not predetermine our winner. Mm -hmm. So I guess we're both going to have to just do a live vote. Uh, yep. What do you think? Is it A, uh, the Vegas schmozzel? Is it B, the um, cheating kerfuffle? Or is it C, the pride uh, pratfall? <laughs> it's pratfall all the way. Uh, the first two are embarrassing. The first two are embarrassing. The third one is inexcusable. And the third one to me also, the, the pratfall is about, you know, the... Oakland, Las Vegas situation will fade into the sands of history, and it'll be a a black mark on Manfred's legacy, uh, but eventually nobody will remember Rob Manfred. Same thing with the Astros cheating scandal. Yes, it's about legacy, but there will be future commissioners. Manfred saying that that was a mistake basically gives the next commissioner clearance to be much harsher in the event that, or, or himself clearance to be much harsher in the event that this happens again. The Pride Pratt fall is about the eternal reputation of this this beautiful institution called baseball and he failed to to stick up for it and that's inexcusable interesting i think i'm gonna have to go with category a uh the winner for me is the vegas move and i think that it has to do deeply with my probably personal obsession with sports ownership, the structures that contain sports ownership, and the increasingly frustrating way in which franchises that have deep relationships with place, with history, with family, are treated as a commodity to be traded on by billionaires, you know, who who, who think that they're brilliant because they have a career in dismantling businesses and selling them for parts. And I I feel like the venture capitalism move into professional sports, which we've been seeing over the last five to seven years, is actually a true existential threat to not just baseball, but maybe all the organized sports. And I think that the callous way that not only has Manfred been pushing nakedly for this move to happen, but that he's also been providing coverage for the bag owner um, who has never done a press conference, who is not stepping up and saying anything about the fact that he is moving what is essentially a public good and taking it away from the public that loves it and, you know, driving down the value of that public good by yada, 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 systematic disinvestment, which we've been saying, which we've been saying, which we've been saying, but that to me, the fundamental push for him to be blatantly on the fans who are trying to do something about it and for him to be in in some ways carrying water for that owner by both waiving the move fee and also by doing all the sort of public press around it to me that is the worst option and i think probably in my heart of hearts the combination of the most excellent pride night that was put on by orioles park at camden yards and the amazing flag they put on the field plus my deep existential terror that the Angeloses are going to somehow move my beloved Baltimore Orioles out of Baltimore and put them somewhere else probably has a finger on the scale of my vote here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, BEV listeners... 
tweet us at be morons. Let us know if you would have picked a different option than we did. And, and if you like that political uh, <laughs> meandering, come give us a listen. <laughs> you're going to love our show. <laughs> and thank you, as always, to the BEV boys for having us. We now return you to their trademark lack of insight and baseless opinion. Please welcome Zach Wilt of Baltimore Sports Today. Hey, this is Zach Wilt, and I'm here to present the bevy for the Orioles' most important piece of the second half. Now, there are a number of different ways that I could go with this bevy. Should we give it to the player that had the biggest impact in the first half of the season? What about the player that the team missed the most or who underperformed? What will it take for the Orioles to get back to the postseason for the first time since 2016? Well, let's take a look at the nominees for the O's' most important piece of the second half. Austin Hayes has been an amazing force at the dish, jumping his average over 60 points from his 2022 marks. He's tied for the team lead in F4 with 1.9 and is one of their four All-Stars this season. Cedric Mullins isn't topping the charts for the Orioles on offense, but his presence was definitely missed when he hit the IL with a right abductor slash groin strain on May 29th. Mullins returned June 24th, and the club went 11-9 and batted 250-319-415 over that span. Felix Bautista has been one of the most dominant closers in baseball, racking up saves and striking out batters and an insane 18.39 per nine. It's the highest clip in the league for any reliever with more than three and two-thirds innings pitched. Our last candidate for the most important piece of the second half is actually a starting pitcher who spent the last month with the Norfolk Tides, talking about Grayson Rodriguez, who's shown signs of promise, but pitched to an 11.14 ERA and five starts with the Orioles over five games in May. The O's top pitching prospect fanned 12 over six innings with the Tides to lower his ERA to 2.11, in his start on the 4th of July. So here it is, the winner for the O's most important piece of the second half, Grayson Rodriguez. All right, now hear me out. Orioles starters ranked 23rd in ERA, 26th in F war, 5th in home runs allowed per 9, 26th in ground ball percentage. You get it. If the Orioles are going to see this thing through and keep rolling in the second half, they're going to need some help from Grayson. He's got to be that guy. That's why he's the winner of the most important piece of the second half. Of course, as I'm recording this, the Orioles are absolutely pounding the Yankees 13 to nothing. So who needs starting pitching? What do I know? And now here are the most tolerant women in Birdland, the baseball widows, Carrie Magnus and Sarah English. Hey Birdland, the Baseball Widows are back to present our bevy for the 2023 season. All right, so this year I am surprising Carrie with our bevy. This is a spur of the moment thing I need to get off my chest and have her weigh in on. I'm nervous. <laughs> so every year the boys do the bevies and oftentimes Scott will pick a song and sing along and always Jake picks a song and Scott just picks a song and records it, and he moves on with his life. Jake picks a song and writes it in the car while I'm sitting there, and then we listen to it 15 times, and then he picks a different song. And so, Carrie, today I have gone into the vault of songs that Jake has written for this year's Bevies. 
And I would like you to choose whether or not you want to pick the song he should have done or the song you are so glad that he didn't do. I love a From the Vault track. (laughs) So here we go. Here is your first song. One, two, three, four, check the pitch clock. Five, six, seven, eight, check the pitch clock. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, check the pitch clock. We're gonna get the app bat in real quick. We've gotta trim these games, we gotta make them fast. Back to two and a half hours like in the past. We're gonna use that pitch clock all game long. And if it's too long, we'll assess a strike a ball. We're gonna speed through the game so it won't take all night. Oh, Oh no, I'm I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm having a pitch com issue. Uh, just g- g- give me a second to get this fixed. Uh, no, 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 no. This is not a strategic delay because I don't have lyrics to this part of the song. No, no, I'm I'm not stalling even a little bit. It's just a, a legitimate pitch com issue. Uh, okay, got it all squared away. Here we go. Oh no, there it goes again. Would you believe it? A second pitch com issue right in a row like that? That's crazy. I'm sure I can get this worked out. Give me just a second. We'll we'll take care of this. A pitch clock song with a comedic monologue. I mean, that is going to be tough to beat. I mean, yeah, he is pretty proud of that one. He's upped his production quality substantially since the days of Oblique. (laughs) I suppose so. All right, so here is your second option. This one's a little bit shorter. Odin, 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 Odin. I'm begging of you, please don't give up dawns. Odin, 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 Odin. Please send that batter back where he belongs. Your fastball is beyond compare. Secondary stuff requires prayer, but still you can get through. Some innings clean. For stretches you look dominant. Sometimes you are my torment. I don't know what to do with you, Odin. I mean, I do love Dolly. That's another good one. I'm impressed. I didn't know what I was walking into, and I'm I'm impressed so far. I feel like Dolly would not approve of that. Well, Dolly might not, but <laughs> I appreciate the tribute. Okay. The homage, if you will. All right, we have two more options. Here is your next song. And so, with the score tied after the bottom of the ninth inning, we'll head to extra innings with everyone's new favorite rule in place. Here come the Ghost Runners. When the game is tied and it's getting late, who are you gonna call? Ghost Runners! If you love baseball, but you've had enough, who are you gonna call? Ghost Runners! I don't want any more. High leverage baseball is a bore. I don't want any more. Let's just add to the score. 
as a child of the 80s, I definitely appreciate the nostalgia factor. So, again, well done, Jake. Cool, cool. To quote Jake English in the Ghost Runner song, I don't want any more. Unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately for those who are enjoying, there's one more. And I'm here to remind you of the mess you made trading me away. It's not fair watching him pitch in that bullpen roll that you took from me. Yen, 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 yekano. I know why you saved that one for last because my um, distaste for that song is, is very strong and will always be a Dave Coulier stand. So, you know. Um, so I, now I have to pick one. Yeah, I apologize for that. I um, I didn't even get the joke on that one. He had to explain it to me. So, you know, that's right over my head. Okay. So I now I'm going to pick my favorite. All right. I know your least favorite. My so. least favorite is the Alanis one. Like, that, that's out. All right. So um, your favorite is? And the winner is? Now... Because I am such a fan of this change that we discussed already on the Mother's Day episode. The winner is getting around the pitch clock. I thought the production quality was great. I thought the song, perfect. One of Jake's better ones. Oh, God. Why do you guys encourage him? Because I can't wait for her next year. All right. That's it from the Baseball Widows. Making their bevies debut, please welcome Jimmy of Upod Street. What's up, everybody? It's Jimmy from Upod Street. You can catch us live Sunday night streaming on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, or you can catch our recordings of our podcast anywhere that you get podcasts. This bevy is called the Hair on My Chinny Chin Chin Award. In order to qualify for this, you are an Orioles player that I believe needs to have facial hair so you don't look 12 years old. The nominees are Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, and Colton Kowser. And the winner, thanks to his recent call-up and shave, is Colton Kowser. Thanks, guys. Presenting a bevy separated by a common language, please welcome Matt Casbolt of British Orioles. Hi, it's Matt Casbolt here from the British Orioles. Um, I'm delighted to come on and, and get involved in the, the mid-season awards. So a little bit about me, if you don't know much about me, I'm at British Orioles on Twitter. Um, I've been following the O's now for about six or seven years. The story is, is that I was on holiday around seven, eight years ago. Um, was doing a tour of, of Tennessee. Ended up in Nashville, saw that there was a baseball game on. Knew absolutely nothing about baseball. I'm a, I'm a big football fan, a big, a big cricket fan back in England. And yeah, we, we, we saw there was a baseball game on, a, a minor league game at the Nashville Sounds. Uh, me and my partner Emma went out, thought we'd have a, have a few beers, some hot dogs, the sort of quintessential uh, American summer's evening. Um, we got there, I had no idea what was going off for the, for, the first few, uh, for the first few innings. And then I got chatting to the guy next to me who, who noticed my voice 
um, and my accent and he sort of said, what, what are you doing here at a minor league game? I explained it to him and, and basically this old guy was a bit of a, a bit of a baseball guru um, and, and he went through the, the entire thing. He explained everything that was happening. He answered thousands of my questions and, and I've, I've been hooked and, and almost obsessed with the game ever since. That led to me coming home, watching MLB, find out about MLB TV, watching any game I can, trying to learn the game as, as much as possible. And then it comes to the point where I need a team. So I'm thinking, how do I go about it? Who do I go about? No idea where to start. Didn't have any connections with anywhere in America or, or anything like that. So I, I did the old-fashioned way, put all the, put all the teams in a hat uh, and drew out the Orioles and then followed five of the Orioles worst ever sort of seasons <laughs> which was which was not not great luck but a, a good time to get into it and a, and a good time to to learn all about it and, and learn what's going off and yeah I've been hooked on the Orioles ever since as as you'll probably see if you, you follow me on Twitter so lots of late nights staying up watching baseball um so the the trip I've recently been on for a bit of context so I, I was finally meant to get across the Camden Yards and then COVID hit and then it got delayed again because of COVID. And then I had a bit of a health issue, which meant I had to cancel last year. So never, never ending story, really. Um, eventually got it all booked for this year, 2023. Um, and we flew across to Washington, um, did Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Salem, and then and then finally Boston uh, and flew back from Boston back into to London and then in, up to Sheffield in the north of England on late on Sunday evening. So it was a very intense two weeks, non-stop sightseeing, 30-odd thousand steps a day, um, taking in anything, everything, uh, all the, yeah, all the usual sights, been seen spots. So it's been a, an incredible trip, um, but I'm absolutely exhausted now. Um, but yeah, move it, moving on to the awards, well worth the airfare award. Um, so looking back at my trip, looking at some of the highlights, um, and and deciding what that might be worth. So so the games I went to just for context while I was over there, I, I did the the Tuesday and Wednesday Cincinnati Reds games at Camden Yards. The two games I did Philadelphia versus the Nats. Uh, I did Orioles at Yankee Stadium on fourth of July, and then on the fifth of July I did uh, Texas Rangers at Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park. So so those those are the games I went to. Um, so here are the, the nominations of the Well Worth the Airfare Awards. Uh, so nominations number one has to go to a, a random guy at the airport. Now, I can't name check him because I've no idea who he is, but we flew out early Saturday morning from, from London, finally landed in Washington as, as I'm coming through the, the security gates where obviously you have everyone with balloons up waiting to meet people and signs and it's absolutely packed and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was at Washington Dulles Airport and I had the O's cap on and as the doors open, I'm walking through, I just hear right at the back, some guy punching his arm up in the air, uh, shouting, let's go O's, um, which was like the ultimate perfect, <laughs> perfect welcome to America. Made One of those moments that was really funny, but also kind of made me a, a little bit emotional, really. It was kind of, I'm, I'm doing this pilgrimage to Baltimore and... Soon as I get off from the airport, some random guys just noticed the hat and, and let out a little cheer. So couldn't have asked for asked for a better welcome. So so that's nomination number one. Nomination number two is the O's fans themselves. Again, I can't name check because I wouldn't want to miss anyone out. But the amount of people that 
sort of messaged me on, on Twitter to, to meet up for a beer or, or meet in the stands in pickles before the games, just taking picture after picture, meeting people. I, I actually ended up losing my voice. There's a, there's a video doing the round where the, the Baltimore banner interviewed me and my, my partner, Emma, and I could barely speak um, because I'd, I was speaking that much. I'd lost my voice. But the welcome from people was was phenomenal, um, just really warm and really nice and really friendly and people genuinely appreciative that I, I've sort of bought into not just the Orioles but Baltimore itself and the culture and the history and the traditions of the place as well. Um, I got gifts, uh, two or three people give me gifts that they'd bought me from the store and, and other bits and bobs which which really took me back. Uh, yeah, and, and sort of pictures with people and meeting people and people having pictures with the British Orioles flag was was just so nice and I think that's really what, especially noticing the sort of atmosphere going to the other stadiums afterwards, where I, such as at the Phillies and, and Fenway Park, where I didn't, where where I wasn't watching the Orioles, the the atmosphere just seemed so much more friendlier uh, at Camden Yards and and people just seemed really nice. So yeah, that that's nomination number two. Nomination number three will, will come as no surprise to lots of people, but that that's Anthony Santander. Um, we we very kindly by the Orioles PR team got invited to batting practice, and Anthony Santander was there. Um, obviously, the rest of the guys were all there, not wanting to intrude and wanting to sort of leave them, realizing that they're, they're sort of warming up for the game. Um, we we left them there um, and didn't try to sort of harass too much, like like fanboys and fangirls in the corner. Um, we we sort of had a self with Brandon Hyde. We shook hands with a, a few other guys uh, from the backroom staff. But Anthony Sander saw the British flag and obviously all the the connotations with the scouts and and whatnot happened a few years ago. Um, he came over and we had a good chat for a good five minutes. Uh, he was sort of saying how how excited he was for for this season and how determined the the guys were to get to the postseason and. He, he was just really warm and, and sort of couldn't give us enough time, really. So that that was something that, that'll live long in the memory. Uh, my third nomination is the staff at the Orioles team store. Now, again, you might have seen this on Twitter because we were originally meant to go in 2020. Yeah, yeah 2020 was the, the first year we, we had this trip planned. I, I sort of saved a tiny little pot of money Um to sort of spend in the Orioles team store, make sure I've got a hat and a jersey and that sort of thing, because obviously buying stuff in the UK is an absolute nightmare with the shipping and, and gets pretty expensive. Um, but because this trip got delayed three, four years, I, I was saving more and more all the time. So I had a nice a nice hefty pot of money sort of just reserved for, for that. And I'm, I went to the team store three or four times during, during the f- few days I was in Baltimore and spent so much money and had loads of questions and wanted things of different sizes and wanted to pay on different cards. And uh, yeah, I, I spent huge amounts and <laughs> was was a bit of a pain pain for them um, with all the questions I had and, and all the stuff I needed sorting and, and saving. Um, but, but those guys were great. So uh, yeah, a, a big shout out for the staff at the Orioles team store. Uh, my next nomination is... Aaron Hicks. Um, so unfortunately, all three games I saw the O's playing, they lost, uh, had a bit of a slump and then I come home and then the Orioles win five straight. So I think I'm a bit of a bad luck curse when, I, when I'm on American soil, unfortunately. But but the sort of highlight from the moment I was there was was in Yankee Stadium. Um, the Orioles fans were going 
mad. Uh, Aaron Hicks, as, as everyone's aware, watching the game, there were guys next to me almost frothing at the mouth in anger every time he got up for an at-bat and I just didn't get it. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I know he, he didn't do well there, but he didn't do anything particularly bad. He didn't do anything to harm the Yankees organisation. So I don't, I don't know why they were so sort of vitriolic about it all. But yeah, the, the, that moment hit that home run, which just seemed inevitable, just felt like the, the ultimate karma. And the guys around me were, were sort of sat open-mouthed in silence and me and my partner Emma were up and down cheering and jumping and, and I had a bit of a laughing fit because I just found it all that sort of funny really and I can only imagine what, what Aaron Hicks felt about at, at that moment as well. So yeah, the the last nomination is is, is Aaron Hicks um, for just a brilliant moment, even though they always ended up losing the game, that, that was such a, a sweet moment to, to sort of him to go back there with all the hate he was getting and and have have the last laugh really. Um Two quick ones I'll try and squeeze in uh, are two losers of the trips that are definitely not nominated. One is a security guard at Independence Hall in Philadelphia who, when we were going through, had to check the bags and your phone and your wallet and all that sort of stuff. Um, gestured that I had to take my hat off and then I didn't really get what he was saying and, and he made me put the hat on top of a bin and then basically wanted me to bin my Orioles hat. Um, so, yeah, he's a loser. Uh, and the second loser, the same thing happened again. I was in the Samuel Adams Brewery in, in Boston uh, and one of the bartenders uh, told me I wasn't allowed to wear a hat in there and I said, advise I could go and get a hat from the store instead because uh, he had he had a problem with my hat, hat. Obviously joking, but I think these guys are just jealous now, especially Red Sox fans being being so many games behind the Orioles. So these are these are the issues you have when you follow successful teams, I guess. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so dramatic pause, reveal, calm yourselves down. I realise I've been talking for a long time now, but here we go. The winner is drumroll, please. It's Anthony Santander. It it was inevitable, and and I feel bad. I think the the O's fans were a very close runner up. Um, but the sort of history of Anthony Santander and and his UK following. Um, I've done an article on the on the sort of MLB website about this. There was BBC News articles when when it all went viral. Um, so it was great that he we sort of us, us British fans already had that uh, repertoire with him and, and reputation and 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 have sort of got to got to really root for him over the last few years um and the fact that he came across noticed us took that time out and it wasn't just sort of a quick picture and bye he was really grateful and and thanked us for the support and and talked about the team and, and where it was going and was happy to pose for pictures and yeah he, he he couldn't do enough really um so yeah he's the the winner of the well worth the airfare trip so yeah, thanks again for inviting me on, guys. Please do follow me on Twitter at British Orioles. Um, keep keep the account growing and and growing the Orioles name across here in the UK and Europe. And yeah, thanks a lot. Let's go O's. Returning to the bevy stage, please welcome Nathan Andrews of Full Count Chaos. Hey, folks, Nathan here from Full Count Chaos Podcast to announce the winner: for the Orioles player with the worst walk-up music in 2023. Of course, I want to thank the guys over at Bird's Eye View for inviting me back to participate in the 11th annual Bevy Awards. Appreciate it, fellas. All right, who doesn't love a little thumping and bumping as your favorite player walks up to the plate? 
Although, unfortunately, sometimes that music is just awful and you want it to stop immediately. So let's get right to it. The nominees for the player with the worst walk-up music is McKenna, Who Am I by Ben Fuller, Brian Mountcastle, Dear Maria, Count Me In, All Time Low, Gunnar Henderson, Gwen Stefani, Sweet Escape, Frazier, Move Your Body by Sevic and Own Boss, Austin Hayes, Rolex on a Redneck, Cedric Mullins, Gigolo by Mike Dimes. And the winner for the worst walk-up music 2023 is Gunnar Henderson, Gwen Stefani, Sweet Escape. Anytime he's coming up to bat and I'm at the game, I just walk away and get a hot dog or something to drink because I don't want to hear five seconds of that music. I hope you can agree with me. Uh, Gunnar was not here to accept the award, but he did send in a text, appreciated it, and said he would think about changing his song. Till next time, see you. And now presenting a bevy, Scott Magnus. So Jake, great season. There has been a plethora of you know great moments, and I think we have talked about it on the podcast ad nauseum during you know years in the past of like the Orioles needed to create a foundation. They needed to create a foundation of players that were going to set themselves up for success going forward. And at this point, I feel like the Orioles have that. And you know, when I look at it, I say you've got Adley and you've got Gunner. And you've got someone like Felix Batista as a closer. And, you know, you've got even Yenier Cano as kind of a setup. And, you know, Austin Hayes is there as well. And again, I think everyone talks about these five players. And again, we we always talk about these given players. But, you know, a part of me thinks about this situation and kind of putting in the classic bird's eye view territory. Everyone loves to talk about the Fab Four. And everyone loves to talk about George and Ringo and Paul and John. And it's fun that I just started with George because again, George is my favorite Beatle. And I'm sure somebody like yourself would start with Paul as the first Beatle. But again, somewhat of an interchangeable standpoint, except for Ringo being you know, the, the fourth Beatle. Nobody likes talking about Ringo. No one likes talking about Ringo. But, you know, through the history of the Beatles, there has always been a fifth Beatle. And if you sit down with any Beatles fan, they will talk to you about who they consider to be the true fifth beetle that's right there's not just one fifth beetle there's about a hundred absolutely fifth beetles. so if i were to ask you jake who is your fifth beetle you know who's your fifth beetle with the with the original fab four it's probably george martin okay i, I think that's most people's things um i think if you look you know later on i think you would go clapton as a potential aspect for a fifth beetle i don't personally like that choice but i would probably go with martin as well but just to be contentious I'll throw Clapton out there as a fifth Beatle. We'll fight about this well, off. Yeah, I don't I don't agree with that choice whatsoever. But it did get me thinking along the lines of, uh, we certainly have this foundation. But I asked the question, you know, who is the forgotten member of, you know, the Fab Four for the current Baltimore Orioles? Um, I threw out five names. So those kind of names are off the table at this given moment. So we decided to put a list together. And this is going to be the fifth Beatle Award for the Bevies. So, Jake, why don't we go through uh, the given nominees for this year? So this year, our first nominee for the fifth Beatle Award is Kyle Bradish. Mm. Our next nomination is going to be Danny Colomb, who joined the team very beginning of the season on a waiver acquisition. Next nominee for the fifth Beatle Award, Ryan O'Hare. Ah, yes, another pickup from a... You know, in organizations such as the Kansas City Royals that got rid of him. 
Um, and then our final nomination is someone that you know, maybe isn't on the field, but has played a really fun part um, in the festivities of being a fandom. And that's going to be Mr. Splash for, uh, you know, in, in getting a little bit of, you know, fun out there in the stadium. And the award goes to... Let's just open up this envelope here. Ooh. The award goes to Kyle Bradish. I mean, I think that's a good selection. I think if you look at Kyle Bradish, he's someone would no one really considers to be Kyle Bradish to be a top of the rotation standpoint. I think most people are going to say Tyler Wells. But I think Kyle Bradish has demonstrated that he's got the stuff necessary to be, you know, a really nice pitcher. I'm not saying a number one or number two, but certainly an active contributor to the rotation um, and has done a really nice job of putting together a significant amount of quality starts. Making his bevy's debut, please put your hands together for Andy Snacks of the History of Birdland podcast. What's going on, everyone? My name is Andy Snacks, A-N-D-Y-S-N-A-K-S. I am the host of the History of Birdland podcast. You can find it on uh, Birdland History on Twitter, and you can find it on all your uh, podcasting avenues that are out there. Uh, really excited to be a part of this bevy awards first time i've i've been a part of it so uh let's get right into it uh, the award that i'm doing is the he is him award now quick explainer if you don't know what this is really there's a trend in sports that if someone does something amazing they say blank is him patrick mahomes throws a behind the back pass he is him uh steph curry hits a three-pointer at the buzzer from half court he is him so I thought I'd have a little fun with it with some Orioles who have had some he is him moments this year. So the first nominee, Adley Rutschman. He had a great rookie year uh, last season and really turned the Orioles fortunes around. I don't know if there were any questions about whether or not he'd have a good sophomore year, but I think there was, is he going to be as good? So what does he do on opening day? He goes five for five with a home run, four RBIs, a walk, and a run scored. So he had six plate appearances, was, was on base six times in the Orioles' opening day victory over the Boston Red Sox. So right away proving that year one was no fluke, and he was here to be the Orioles' number one guy for years to come. So my next two moments actually happened on the same day. So nominee number two is Felix Bautista from May 12th against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And there were so many moments to pick from Bautista, but I did this one just because I don't know if you can have a much more dominant performance than this. 13 pitches, 11 strikes, three strikeouts, and an easy save for Bautista. It's actually crazy to think of how many blown saves he's had this year with an ERA barely above one, but that's baseball. From that same night, nominee number three, Cedric Mullins hits for the cycle in the same night. So on May 12th, two of our best players had two of their best nights to show that they are the future and they are him for the Baltimore Orioles. And nominee number four, the last nominee, Gunnar Henderson, all I got to say is 462. I mean, that was one of the farthest hit balls I've ever seen in Oriole Park at Camden Yards. When he had that rough start to the season, he just turned it on and that moment right there made me think he's fine if he can hit a ball 462 feet he's good and now the winner is 
Gunnar Henderson's 462-foot blast makes him the He Is Him award winner. To bring his own history, humor, and homerism, please welcome Matt Taylor of The Roar from 34. Greetings, Birdland. It's Matt Taylor of Roar from 34, and I'm here to present the top rejected idea for a promotional section at Camden Yards. Now, we all know the birdbath. It's been a wild success. Fans getting sprayed down by Mr. Splash. Good time is being had by all. But it wasn't an easy path to get there. Did you know about the ideas that didn't make the cut? We'll learn about more of those in this award category. So let's get right to the nominees. First, in the top rejected idea for a promotional section is the Earl Weaver cigarette section. In honor of the Earl of Baltimore, the Hall of Fame manager himself, fans can light up cigarettes throughout the game and won't be ejected for doing so like the former manager once was. So go on, take a drag. Uh, you see, that's where this promotional concept fell apart. Confusion over the word drag led to protests, and baseball did what it does best in the face of controversial social issues. Back down like Albert Bell is charging the mound. Our second nominee is the Jim Palmer jockey section. If you don't know, Google it. Better yet, don't. Our third nominee is the liftoff section. Picture it. Fans coming to the ballpark dressed in astronaut-themed apparel. Hey, that's fun. But what represents liftoff? Why, standing pat, of course. So join the liftoff section in the standing room-only areas of the ballpark each Monday through Thursday. Our next nominee is the City Connect section. Now, we all know Twitter is a conversation starter. And thanks to the City Connect section, that chatter doesn't have to end. Enjoy the birds, some brews, and lots of ballpark banter with fans who are eager to debate the merits of the team's locally-themed threads. What could possibly go wrong? Remote working arrangements are available for fans unwilling to travel to the city for the game. And our final nominee is the I Know More Than Brandon Hyde section. After you've strengthened your fingers behind the keyboard, Come on out to the ballpark and the IKMTBH section. Use the interactive controllers to make in-game decisions and prove that you would have this team in first place, thank you very much, with the best record in baseball. And so the envelope, please. The top rejected idea for a promotional section at Camden Yards is the liftoff section. It was an idea that sure sounded good at first. Congratulations to all our nominees and to our winner. And now, here are Jake and Scott for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly extended bonus edition on the bevies. You know what that means, Scotty. The rules... Where we're going, we don't need rules. We're going to do two each. Two goods. Two bads. Two ugly. So two by two by two by two by two? Yes, we will go marching in two by two. Uh, I was thinking genetics, but... I was thinking two-step. But here at the good, for the first half of the season, 
I'm going to start with Tyler Wells. And here's the deal. Tyler Wells is second in the team in uh, innings pitched, and he has simply been rock steady for the Baltimore Orioles. I keep waiting for the moment when the league figures out Tyler Wells. I I keep looking for the moment in which the peripherals fall apart. And what I mean by that is you take a look at his stats and you look at, at some of the more advanced metrics and you look at FIP and XFIP, and that's up in the mid four territory, a 464 FIP and a 432 XFIP against a, a 318 ERA. And yet, and yet, and yet, Tyler Wells continues to find ways to get it done. I will say that he, he will give up the home run, mm-hmm. but he does not get hurt by the Earl Weaver specials. Tyler Wells's mistakes are single home runs, and they tend to be by themselves. Mm-hmm. They tend to be the one mistake that Tyler Wells makes in a day. And when you talk about the complementary players that we need in order to compete, in order to be one of the better teams in baseball, performances like Tyler Wells, I think, make the difference. You know, is he the pitcher that that Kyle Gibson is at this point in his career? No. But he's a guy that we were hoping would be a good bullpen arm a rule five guy. And instead he has been a steadfast member of this rotation and a rotation whose members seem to not want to take the mantle top. And so Tyler Wells has been there. I I think for the 2023 Orioles, he has been good. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, My first grid is going to go to Felix Batista. Felix Batista has been absolutely filthy. I mean, there was a, a few indications where, you know, control issues happened at the very beginning of the season. But again, you have to look at Felix Batista and you have to start with the 18 case per nine. Um, it's just an unbelievable number. Um, yes, the walks per nine are, are, are up a little bit compared to last year, but 18 case per nine is just a ridiculous stat. Um, you know, even when, you know, folks are getting on base versus him, you're looking at the situation and say, well, he could put the next three guys down without another ball coming into play. So, Felix Batista, I mean, I don't want to claim that it is Britain-esque like a 2016, but Felix Batista is having a amazing season, even better than last year, in my opinion. Yeah, he is. He has been absolutely clutch for this club. My second good is going to go to Austin Hayes. Yeah. And I will simply say that in past seasons, we have wondered to ourselves what a full, healthy season from Austin Hayes could look like. Scott? We're looking at it. Mm-hmm. And he has been off the charts. Beyond that, I will say that this is what Austin Hayes looks like when he's fully healthy for a complete season and doesn't have to carry the load. The attention is on Rutschman. The attention is on uh, Gunnar Henderson. The attention is on the young kids coming up. Even a Cedric Mullins, whose health has been a concern and, and whose performance we watch go up and down. And while all that's going on, seemingly in the background... You've got Austin Hayes turning in an absolutely stellar season. And and as it turns out, an all-star season. Here are the first half, a 136 weighted runs creative plus. He's got an even two war, and he has simply been a delight to watch. Austin Hayes has been good. Yeah. You know, there's an easy good here, and you could go Adley, but I think if we're going to be honest, the good has to be Gunnar Henderson. Um, and I, and the reason I'm going to pull that out is, you know, you look at Gunnar's numbers for the season so far at the halfway point, 246 average, 342 on base percentage, 455 slugging, good for a 122 weighted runs created plus. 
But you also have to kind of look at, you know, the adversity that he suffered. I mean, he was not doing well earlier this season. At one point, he was at a 90-weighted runs created plus, And a lot of folks were questioning, like, he's not really hitting it for average. He was below 200 at a certain point from an average standpoint. And folks were asking the question, like, you know, does he need to go back down? Does he need to get the Mullen treatment where he gets kind of rehabilitated and then he comes right back up again? Um, but Gunner kind of, you know, stuck through it. Um, and he also faced a lot of adversity by basically having me shifted over the lineup. So Gunner's gone from third base to shortstop. He's gone from batting, you know, seventh or eighth in the lineup all the way up to number one in the lineup. <laughs> um, so in terms of a player that has had to basically, I wouldn't say shift his whole game around, but have to deal with a lot of variables um, and, you know, really, you know, taking it all in um, and just quiet the noise. You know, I ultimately think it's a matter where if Gunnar Henderson, you know, continues to do what we saw in, we'll call it in May and June, um, where he went on that tear, I think the Orioles are in a great position um, to be a playoff team and do really well. Um, you know, Adley is kind of consistent, but Gunnar is going to be that X factor to basically make the determination of, is this going to be a playoff team that goes deep in the playoffs or is this a, play, a team that potentially is going to get knocked down that first round? All right, my bad... Uh, my first bad for the first half of the season is going to go to Grayson Rodriguez. And I will say, Grayson, we needed you, right? This is a, this is a team that needed its young stars to step up. And look, I'm not saying that Grayson Rodriguez is trash. He might have a fantastic Major League Baseball career. But we need him to get back here fast and in the shape that we thought he might be. Do we need him to be perfect? No but we need him to be better than a guy that was sent back down to the minors for retooling. Grayson Rodriguez not getting it done at the major league level and being such a, a heralded prospect, pitching prospect for a team that has been pitching thin for quite some time. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, my first bat is going to go to uh, Adam Frazier. Uh, I just don't see Adam Frazier being what the Orioles were looking for. And what the Orioles were really looking for was they were looking for someone that got on base. Um, and, you know, currently Adam Frazier has a 299 on base percentage. Um, if that was closer to 320, I think the Orioles would be perfectly happy with that. But that combined with some really offensive defense numbers right now, I believe he is last on American League shortstops, uh, not American League shortstops, American League second baseman in terms of um, outs above average. I just don't see what Adam Frazier is bringing to the table. And there's a few folks that are going to point out saying, well, Adam Frazier leads the team right now in RBIs. And it's true. He leads the team in RBIs um, right next to, to Ali Rutschman. And he has had some clutch appearances. But I look at the sum of it and I say to myself, if somebody else was in that position, um, you know, at the very bottom of the order, you know, would they be able to come through it? I just, Adam Frazier doesn't strike me as a, a difference maker to me. When we talk about a player leading the team in clutch and grittiness, I view that as the the consolation prize of dark age teams. And I, I'll, I come back to the standpoint of I think it's an important standpoint, and I think it's great when someone you know hits for win probability are added um, in the first half of the season. But I also look at that and say those things have a tendency to balance out. So you take you know, the victories as you were that you got in the first half, but you can't say that is going to be a sustainable basis going forward. 
All right, my second bad of the first half of the season is the Tampa Bay Rays. For ruining everything. Scott, I would like you to go on a mental exercise with me. Take a journey, Mm -hmm. if you will. I would like you to imagine a season in which the Tampa Bay Rays are pretty good. In this imaginary 2023, when the Tampa Bay Rays are a pretty good team in the AL East, the Baltimore Orioles would be running away with the universe. The Baltimore Orioles would be the best team in the American League. Mm -hmm. They would be heralded by every major publication talking about the fulfillment of the rebuild. And all of the Buster Olneys of the world would have to chew on the fact that now is the time that we are are reaping what was sown for so very long. The Tampa Bay Rays have ruined the narrative, and I find it distasteful. It's bad. Classless. Classless, right? Awful. Awful. Uh, My next bad is going to go to Ryan Mountcastle. I mean, not just, you know, the situation where he's been injured, but again, looking up to that point, uh, in 262 plate appearances, he's got a 230 average, which again, is par for the course for him. Um, But I think, you know, you look at the slugging percentage and extra base hit standpoint, and it's just not adding up to me. So he's got an 86 weighted runs created plus. Um, If he's going to play first base, and I'm not saying he's a bad first baseman, he needs to be closer to that, you know, 120 range. Um, and, and Mountcastle has not been able to do it. Um, not to mention, too, the plate discipline seems to continue to deteriorate. Um, so, again, I, I think Mountcastle has a role on this team. I just don't know if he's an everyday starter like we thought he might have been. And the fact, again, regardless of the reasons why, the fact that he's not is bad for the Orioles. Right, exactly. All right, my ugly... My first ugly for the first half of the season is going to go to CNL Perez. And I realize that it would be complete foolishness for us to expect CNL Perez to be as good as he was last year. He was unbel- it was silly how good CNL Perez was, a player that came from basically nowhere to be one of the most dominant arms in the back of a bullpen. But even if we did not get 2022 CNL Perez this year, I would like you to take another mental journey with me and imagine a world in which CNL Perez didn't fall off quite so far and was far more effective and was part of the setup to the back of the bullpen. If CNL Perez could hand things off to uh, Yannir Cano or could perhaps set up Bautista sometimes, therefore decreasing the load on Yannir Cano, this bullpen would look so much, so much different. Instead, Sinel Perez has struggled to recapture that form, and it hasn't all been terrible, but a lot of it's been terrible. And when I look at what this team needs, this team really missed out on timing for a great season from Sinel Perez. And what's left in 2023? It's ugly. My ugly is going to go to a player that Certainly, I did not expect to give it to at the end of April. And, of course, it's got to be Jorge Mateo. I mean, Jorge Mateo um, looks absolutely lost at the plate since May. Um, And it's really a shame because, again, you saw what he was able to do in April. And you thought, well, maybe, you know, he's not going to be that 70 to 80 weighted runs created plus, you know, hitter like he has been in the past. 
Um, and, you know, over this season, um, you know, he was doing great in that first month. But over the entire half, first half of the season, he's at a 66 weighted runs created plus a 266 on base percentage. You know, Jorge Mateo has a lot of great things. He does play a great defensive shortstop. And again, he has speed. But as Jim Palmer has said, you got to get to first in order for the speed to kick in. I just don't see a role for Jorge Mateo as an everyday starter. And that's kind of been the rub. And that's kind of why the Padres got rid of him back in the day. I think Jorge Mateo makes a lot of sense for the 26-man roster. Um, but Jorge Mateo is going to be my ugly um, because right now he's just, you know, a disaster at the plate. And it's a real shame because he's an easy guy to root for. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Ubaldo Jimenez, yeah. a player that whose performance you love to hate, but a guy that you really wanted to yeah. do well. Mateo, absolutely the same kind of Would thing. love for Jorge Mateo just to prove me wrong and hit, you know, 120, 130 weight and screw plays for the rest of the season. Um, I just don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think he's going to get the opportunity um, now with some of the young prospects coming up. My ugly is a little bit going to dovetail on my first ugly, and that is simply the general failures of the bullpen. Yeah. And we talked about this ad nauseum, but that is the real Achilles heel of this team um, because you know the offense has gone quiet at times, but the offense has also covered a lot of failures in the bullpen. The starters have done a better job than I thought they, they would have. And the back end has been absolutely dominant. Cano and Bautista, you can't say enough about what they've done to keep this team not just in contention, but at the top of contention. And when things fall apart, it's almost always the middle relief. Yeah. Again, this team it has won a crap ton of games. And so you love that. And it, it almost feels greedy to say that we should have gotten more. But you look at the record of where the team is, and you look at some of those series that we lived through some really awful middle relief performances, and you think, wow, this team could be even better if we could just get a little more consistency out of the middle relief. Yeah. And you pointed out to a tweet, I think from last week, indicating that you know the margin of error was extremely thin for the Baltimore Orioles. And I think that is such a great point to make on the bullpen. Jake, let me ask you this question. What would the Orioles' record be if Yenner Cano did not have his breakthrough season like he did this season? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot a lot closer to 500, that's for sure. And again, Yenner Cano is you know not a high war player. Again, he's going to be like a 1.5 war player at this given, given moment. Um, but you look at, we always talk about it from a force multiplier standpoint. If Cano is not there, then Batista maybe is overused. Um, and, you know, games do not get to Batista as much on that basis. So, you know, at the very beginning of the season, going into spring training, there is no way in my mind that the Orioles thought that Yannier Cano was going to be what he is today. Yannier Cano has stepped up. Um, and, and to a certain regard, Danny Colomb has stepped up as well. But I think you're absolutely right that bullpen failures in general and the margin of depth in the bullpen um, is is my ugly, actually. And again, you look at, you know, Dylan Tate, you know, being injured. You look at Michael Givens giving you nothing. Um, and then you just look at the rest of the depth of, you know, the bullpen on that basis. And that's where I think it's ugly, which is, you know, without that depth and without that ability to pull from, it's really apparent to me that that is going to be, like you said, the Achilles heel uh, for this. 
Orioles are not the only team that has these issues. Every other playoff team has these kind of Achilles heels as well. Tampa, for example, who you uh, you called bad, um, are, is equally going to be looking for relief pitching in the middle innings as well. Um, but the Orioles have an obvious sore, and they need to basically patch it. What's really a bummer is that this is this is a organizational depth problem. Yeah. And if the Orioles choose to solve it, if the Orioles decide we need to make a move to make a playoff run or a deep playoff run, it's going to cost them organizational depth elsewhere. Now, they, they have a stocked farm system, sure. right? But I really am uncomfortable with the idea of giving up some of the trade chips that we would have for the kind of middle relief we need. And this brings back yep. the whole discussion of Andrew Miller. Yep. I defend that move to this day. Me I too. thought it was the right move. Right move. I, I, it should have worked. Yep. But I don't look at the 2023 Orioles the way I look at the 2014 Orioles. I look at the 2014 Orioles and I say, how did we miss going to the World Series? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I'm going to look back if, if, mm-hmm. big if, the Orioles don't make a deep push sure. and say, how did this team not make the World Series? And on that standpoint, I'm a little gun shy on saying, let's give up some of these great lottery tickets in the minors for middle relief. I hear what you're saying. And again, in classic bird's eye view standpoint, I'm going to break the rules. And I think one of the biggest uglies so far has been the season is exactly what you just demonstrated. And it's the conservative nature of the Orioles organization. For so long, we have said, when the Orioles have the chance to win, they need to push all their chips in. And we talked about this during the off season where you didn't go out and get any you know big talent. And we also have talked about it so far this first half of the season of why has Jordan Westberg not been promoted? Why has Colton Kowser not been promoted? The Orioles seem a step or two slow to basically take that move. And I completely understand what you're saying, which is, well, I'm not sure if the Orioles are quite as good as the 2014 Orioles, so I'm not sure this is when I need to push my chips in. However, we'll come back and point out, last year the 2022 Mets were a really good team. And this year, it looks like the 2022 Mets are going to get blown up even after going out and spending over $130 million. You never know in baseball whether it's your year or not. Eventually, you have to put the chips in. And I get concerned um, on that basis as it relates to not even our ownership group, but specifically our GM and even Sig Dell. There was a book that came out earlier this year called Winning Fixes Everything, talking about the Astros organization. And there was one comment in there specifically talking about Sig Dell, where they said, you know, Sig was really big on internally promoting and not trading away prospects, thinking that the prospects were in essence going to make it big. Um, and that's what almost prevented the Astros from going out and getting a, a pitcher like a Justin Verlander. Um, but sometimes you got to take the risky move, like an Andrew Miller standpoint, in order to say, we're going to try to go do the whole dang thing. So you're telling me that our GM, who we have heralded, you would like to see a little bit more of a Dan Duquette the Torpedoes approach. I would like to see a little bit more aggressiveness. Okay. Scotty, if you're going to break the rules... I'm going to break the rules. All right. And I want to throw some ugliness out there. Okay. That has me a little worked up. Okay. And it is you, my friend. 
Now, you and I agree on a great many things when it comes to the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. But you have said some things in public that I cannot stand behind as a member of Bird's Eye View. I, do you want me to read the tweet to just to set you up for this? I do. Uh, this was posted on May 31st of this year. A day that will live in infamy. A day that will live in infamy. Um, and it responds as follows. Dear at Matt Kremenitzer, a.k.a. you know, Mr. This Week on the Twitter himself, uh, is Ryan O'Hearn the next Steve Pierce? Now, I still feel, looking at Ryan O'Hearn's numbers, that Ryan O'Hearn is and will be this year's 2014 Steve Pierce. Can I ask you something? Sure. How dare you, sir? <laughs> How dare you stand here where he stood and ask, is this this year's Steve Pierce? Let me ask you this. Who the heck is Ryan O'Hearn? <laughs> Who the hell is Ryan O'Hearn? <laughs> First of all, we didn't ask that question. Sure. Second of all, has Ryan O'Hearn cried in post-game interviews for his passion of Orioles baseball? He has, actually. Stop it. <laughs> Ryan O'Hearn cannot hope to lick the boots of Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce is an institution in Orioles baseball in the hallowed halls of Birdland Pretty Goods. Steve Pierce stands heads and shoulders above Ryan O'Hearn. Listen, when Ryan O'Hearn uh, eventually leaves the Orioles organization and goes wins a World Series with the Red Sox, and wins a World Series MVP. By the way, I have no doubt that Ryan O'Hearn <laughs> could win a World Series MVP for another club. Let's just be clear. No doubt that that could happen. But Ryan O'Hearn, so far, specifically is what he has been putting up as of late, uh, through May and June, now even into July a little bit, certainly has convinced me that he has all the makings to potentially be the next Steve Pierce. So you're saying that this is a player who plays first base yes. and some outfield. Yes. Who has been an unlikely... He's also been taking a few position uh, throws at second base as well. <laughs> who has been an unlikely addition to not only the lineup, but the middle of the order. Yep. And has basically held the, gl the club together with chewing gum while some other injuries and poor performances have happened. And you think that guy... Sounds like our beloved Steve Pierce. Absolutely. All right. Well, when I say it that way, I, I don't like the way it sounds. But he's not Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce is is awesome. And a white and, guy with very little hair. And St Steve Pierce won't stop. And Steve Pierce is good memories. And and Ryan Herhard might be the next Steve Pierce. Hey, you know what? Nelson Cruz is available now, too. We might as well just sign him as well. Now. Now. You're talking. <laughs> Once again, here are Jake and Scott. Well, listeners, we've reached the end of another Bevy Awards program. As always, we'd like to thank you. This project simply wouldn't work without you. We are humbled and appreciative that so many of you spend an hour a week with us celebrating or commiserating over the Baltimore Orioles. And thanks to those of you who've reached out over the years. We have met so many amazing people through this podcast, and we continually delight for the opportunity to get to know so many great people throughout Birdland, both in person and virtually. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our wives, uh, the Baseball Widows, Sarah, Carrie. You're so tolerant and indulgent of this whole podcast thing. Um, sure, maybe you knew um, what you were getting into uh, when you married us. I doubt that. 
Um, but you're still nicer about it than you really have to be. Thank you to the many people who make Bird's Eye View possible. Our logo is the work of the phenomenal guys over at OBP Apparel. Please go buy some shirts. Our theme song, Watching the Orioles, is by Songs from the Moon. The interstitial music you hear each week is No Robots by Black Dog Prowl and Mania by The Last Year. And as always, we want to extend a very special thank you to the voice of the bevies, Jovial J. Shepard. Thanks again for listening to the 11th annual Bevy Awards. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Enjoy the baseball. Let's go win the whole dang thing. Thank you for listening to the 11th annual Bevy Awards. For more lack of insight and baseless opinion, subscribe to the Bird's Eye View podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. New episodes drop weekly during the season and monthly in the off-season. Get social with Bird's Eye View on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram. But the best place to get a hold of them is on Twitter, where they tweet at Bird's Eye View Ball. That's Bird's Eye View B-A-L. And this has been your host of the Bevies again, Jovial J, where you can find all of my written and podcast work at RetroZap.com or check out MCU Location Scout for an entire list of Marvel Cinematic Universe filming locations. See you next year, everybody. It's over. Go home. Go.